Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and we begin a series uh, with this episode called Courageous Conversations. And to kick off that series, I'm delighted to welcome two of the uh, founders and uh, key figures in uh, the organization called Roots from uh, Palestine, uh, Israel and Palestine. Uh, we welcome Rabbi Hanan Schlesinger and Noor Awad. We're grateful to have you both. Thank you, George. Thank you, George. So uh, please tell uh, us more about the idea of Roots as a a name for the group and how that relates to why you came to be and how you do your work together. Oh, that's a lot. So briefly, Roots focuses its work in the West Bank, in mm -hmm. the Palestinian territories, where Israeli Jews and Palestinian Arabs live very close to each other, but with no contact, no mm -hmm. contact. And that means ignorance of the other, stereotypes, bigotry, perhaps racism, lots of resentment and lots of fear. And the truth is fear kills. People die, they kill and are killed because of their fear. What Roots tries to do is to bring the two sides together. Neighbors meeting neighbors. We created the only joint Israeli-Palestinian community center in the whole West Bank, where before the war, before October 7th, local Israelis and local Palestinians were meeting each other in, in educational events and religious events, cultural events, uh, political discussions. Briefly, we do two things. We humanize the other. They're not a monster. And number two, we come face to face with the identity of the other side. We're not meeting each other just with our common humanity. We're going beyond that. And we are revealing to the other the fullness of our historical, cultural, religious, national, political identities. So it's very, very challenging. And that gets to the word roots. We're about the roots of the conflict. And there's no way to deny, at least we think, that it's a conflict over identity. It's a conflict over, over roots, about religion, about history, about culture. Israelis and Palestinians tend to believe and assert the other side is not a people. The other side is not legitimate. They're made up. And we also tend both sides to assert that the other side has no connection to the land, the land of Palestine, the land of Israel. And we claim that the land has two identities. It's the land of Palestine and it's the land of Israel. And two peoples are connected to that land. This message is very, very, very difficult. It alienates people from both sides. And uh, since the war began, it's be become even more difficult. So we are a group of locals, uh, local Israelis and Palestinians, who have realized um, after working together for several years that a, we have responsibility, uh, responsibility toward the situation and the reality that we are living and, and dealing with and also toward the future and the future generations. And what we are working for is that, or what we are working uh, on is to, to create more understanding uh, between Israelis and Palestinians, to create uh, more uh, people on both sides who believe um, in the connection 
um, and the uh, legitimacy of uh, of the other side, and that the other side deserve the same rights that I that I and we deserve, and that we eventually have to live together. But um, when I say we live together, that doesn't necessarily mean if we live in two states or one state or what is the action, what is the exact political framework. Uh, because within our group, we have people who uh, support different, uh, let's say, political uh, frameworks, different uh, visions. But for sure, it's all based on the beliefs that the two people, the, the Jewish people and the Palestinian people, belong to, this, to the entire land between the river and the sea. And uh, both people uh, deserve to live on this land, uh, respected with dignity and human rights. And at the same time, it's very important for us to say that give us the space to bring our identities uh, as Palestinians and as Israelis uh, and that the uh, issue are, we are dealing with, as my partner said, it's not just of the violence that's happening now and it's not just of the occupation or Israeli military control over the West Bank and Gaza since 1967. And it's not just in 1948, it's even before that. The issue, we recognize at Roots that the issue is deeper than that. That's, I think, that's why we are we are calling it Roots, because we back, go back to the roots of the conflict, to the roots of the problem. And that means we go back to our identities as Jews and as Palestinians, uh, what those, how those identities were shaped and how we can actually reshape our identities in a way that it's not a exclusive and deny the other, but in a way that include the other. So I still maintain my identity as a Palestinian, and I still maintain my identity as a Jewish Israeli Zionist, but I accept, I find a way to accept the other identity. So uh, Hanan and Noor, you, you're doing this work. Hanan, uh, you are the Director of International Relations for Roots, and Noor, uh, you are an activist, uh, a leader and spokesperson for the organization. Uh, and each of you, therefore, has uh, an identity apart from roots. Uh, you're deeply embedded in your own communities. When those of us who are in the States uh, try to be educated about what's going on uh, in Israel and Palestine, uh, I think uh, we uh, assume uh, that uh, the... Uh, situation is quite binary. That is to say, um, you have uh, either to defend the right of Israel to exist, and that gives almost a um, uh, a blank check to the Israel Israeli government to uh, defend itself as such. Uh, and uh, if you are uh, supportive of the Palestinian cause. Uh, you are supportive, uh, at the very least, of uh, of uh, the uh, determination to uh, end the occupation and establish a, a Palestinian state. But the imagination of people is not much beyond that, I would say, here. Uh, you live in a much more nuanced uh, setting and work uh, already, you've said, we are not committed necessarily to a particular peace plan, but uh, we're doing more foundational work. Uh, so Hanan, uh, one example of this, it would seem to me, is that um, you you are controversially a settler yourself, uh, right? Yeah. So you, you are an Israeli Jew, but you are living in the West Bank, 
in a, a Jewish settlement, uh, which in itself is a, a deep offense to many Palestinians. Uh, and yet uh, you find yourself uh, in these kinds of conversations. Uh, so uh, I, I think uh, what I'm trying to get to here for uh, people in the United States is this notion that the, the life on the ground is much more complicated, perhaps, uh, that, that there is a real politic that exists now. Uh, and uh, you seem to be trying to find ways to deal with uh, things beyond these binary choices of uh, one one or the other of you must be free from the river to the sea, right? Uh, this this language is used on both sides, but uh, it seems to me that you are trying to offer an imagination of uh, a, another way of having these conversations that breaks through this impasse of either or. Is that is that fair to say? It's fair to say. Okay. So how do you go about this work then? We have a saying that comes from the founder of Roots on the Palestinian side, Ali Abu Awad, that we have to find a way to fit two truths into one heart. Okay. That two truths into one heart is the way to fit two peoples into one land. Mm -hmm. And what that means is to understand that the Jewish connection to the land is true and important, and I express that in my living on the land, but it cannot be an exclusive connection. It is not an exclusive connection, nor use that word exclusive, that my connection to the land does not preclude the possibility that another people is also connected to the same land. And on the other side, the Palestinian people are deeply connected to the land, but that does not mean that the Jewish people are not also not deeply connected to land. There are two peoples in this land. The land has two identities. The land, mother, the mother land has two children. And that's really, really hard for most Israelis and most Palestinians to stomach because our identities on both sides are deeply based on exclusivism. It's us and not them. And if you give any legitimacy to them, you're already undermining your nationality, your national enterprise. Yes. And and, the, and one of the keys here is to understand that to realize and accept and recognize the legitimacy of the other side and their connection to land does not undermine my legitimacy and my connection to land. And the opposite is the case. That as long as either side denies the other side's legitimacy, there's going to be bloodshed, there's going to be war, there's going to be conflict, which undermines my own connection to the land. My own connection to the land can only be fully supported by me supporting the other side's connection to land as well. So if I can add on this, what Prof Hanan just uh, talked about, actually explain to us and make us uh, maybe a little bit understand why there are why there are so many Palestinians who see their identity not stopping just at the green line, at the 1967 border line uh, or ceasefire line, and why there are Israelis who are living on this side of, of, uh, of the green line. We, as we said before, we both recognize that the our identities make us the two sides, the two people connected to the entire land. Now, the people sometimes when they hear about roots, they make one of the most like common assumption people make is that 
since Israelis at roots are from the settlements or, or they are settlers, then roots is somehow trying to justify the existence of settlers or justify the, uh, the settlers' uh, political uh, impact or political effect. And that's not necessarily the goal. Uh, roots is working with settlers because we are Palestinians and Israelis who are living on the front lines of the conflict, who are affected by this conflict, by what's going on, by the occupation. But also it's important to say for me that we are not justifying, the point here is not to justify or to just create coexistence with the settlers. We are providing a model to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the settlements is one issue, but it's not the only issue. We have other issues to deal with. Uh, so this is what we are trying, this is what we are doing at, uh, at Roots. I want to add something to what Noor just said, which is that I justify, I legitimize Jewish settlement in the whole land from the river to the sea, but I do not justify, legitimize the way that we Jews have settled in the West Bank, Judean Samaria. There, I have no doubt, this is my belief, that my connection to the whole land is true and legitimate. And at the same time, the way that me, me and my people have been expressing that connection to land through settlements that take land from Palestinians and limit Palestinian freedom and impinge upon Palestinian security, that is wrong. That is bad. So my partner, uh, Rabbi Nancy Kasten, uh, likes to use the phrase uh, that uh, as a Jew, uh, and I believe you could also say this, nor as a Palestinian, uh, you belong to the land, but the land does not belong to you. Uh, mm -hmm. Is is that a phrase that each of you could adopt and say uh, it would be a way forward uh, to uh, frame this uh, approach? Yes, exactly. Actually, we have this saying at Roots, uh, from the very beginning of Roots, actually, um, we have a story about Rabbi Menachem Fruman, who you can say he was like the spiritual father of, of, of Roots. And um, actually, a quote from him, he said that uh, we belong to the land, not that the land belongs to us. Yes. Uh, and that's something that his students uh, actually understand. And that that means for us on both sides that we both belong to this, uh, to, to this land and this land can actually have more than one uh, identity and more than one uh, than one people. Yes. So how has your work been affected and changed by the conflict that began October 7th with Hamas's uh, horrific attack and the subsequent uh, uh, retaliation that's happened in Gaza? And I might mention also with settler violence in the West Bank. So if, if I can if I can go first about that, uh, I think I can say, first of all, there are different uh, impacts sometimes and different feelings on both sides, on both the Israeli and the Palestinian side. Um, the way how we deal with the city, the way how we dealt with the situation, the way how it impacted us. To a certain degree, I can say before the 7th of October, we on the Palestinian side, we were still experiencing a certain level of tension and, and violence and occupation 
restrictions, uh, incursions and invasions at nights, uh, shooting uh, in, in north of the West Bank and, and killings. So there was a level of tension that already existed before the 7th of October. And then we have the attack. So it felt like an escalation of, of what already existed, like a situation that already exists. And we have this huge escalation that happened. Uh, I th the immediate effect was that um, we immediately felt we are in a, in a, in a war now. Uh, many, many Palestinians were not yet fully aware of what's, what's going on. And then the story or the situation started to become clear in, in, the, in several hours and the first two days that this is a Hamas attack and they, they were planning it for two years. And it felt like this is a revenge from our side for the aggressions and the attacks that was happening for the last two years on us. Especially that Hamas also brings this religious voice, a strong religious voice to the conflict. Uh, even the name they give it to the to their to the operation, Tawfan al-Aqsa, it's because of Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. And for the last two years before that, two Ramadans, we witnessed an escalation of violence in Jerusalem, specifically in the time of Ramadan and in, uh, in Al-Aqsa Mosque. So um, I, I, I said several times that the attack surprised me when it happened, but it wasn't completely shocking in the sense of it wasn't like completely unexpected because we had this blockade and pressure in Gaza for 17 years. And I was, we were like assuming that this will happen at some point, not exactly the way it happened, but I was exactly like, I was actually thinking that something will have some sort of explosion will happen in Gaza and it happened. Um, so we could not make any meetings. Um, we uh, turned our activity, we actually made some meetings on Zoom. Uh, and we felt like, I can say, I felt from my side, we are like lost in terms of what should we do right now? Should we uh, make a statement? Uh, is a statement enough? Can we agree on a statement? Um, and yeah, that like there, there were many things that happened and uh, uh, that's how we were affected uh, from, from the 7th of October. And until now, I can say we cannot just go back to the work that we used to do before the 7th of October. Um, this, uh, this, this war that started on the 7th of October um, limited our work a lot and put us in a very uh, difficult situation. And we are even thinking among us Israelis and Palestinians who are in this in this in this work, and sometimes Israelis alone or Israelis themselves and Palestinians ourselves, we have meetings to try to see how we can move forward after after this. I will just add, uh, perhaps it's important for listeners to know uh, the reasons why uh, Israelis and Palestinians in roots cannot meet, have not met for the three past three months. One reason is very, very uh, mundane. The Palestinians in the West Bank have been under Israeli military closure since the beginning of the war. They don't have freedom of movement. They literally cannot come in buses or cars or taxis to the Roots Dignity Center, our community center. That's the first reason why we can't meet. Uh, and they've been living for three months under closure. Livelihoods have been restricted uh, going to to schools, universities, to doctor's appointments. They are living under closure for three months. That's terrible. 
And the second reason why the two sides can't meet is that even Israelis and Palestinians who have met at the root center in the past, many of them, not all, but many of them since the beginning of the war don't want to meet the other side. Yeah. The narratives have become so, so polarized. Each side reads different news, knows different facts. Each side has deep, deep claims, demands of the other side. You have to say this or I can't talk to you. You have to say this or I can't talk to you. Yes. Each side sees the other side as, as very, very violent, dangerous uh, terrorists at this point. So if the work of Roots was difficult before the war, and it was, it's much more difficult today. I think that's uh, much of the reason I asked the question, because it does seem that when uh, the war broke out and the continuing hostilities, it intensified uh, greatly the positions that each uh, party had to where it was even more difficult to see a nonviolent way to break through uh, to some resolution. And, uh, you know, the, the more you feel threatened, in a sense, uh, the more you tend to look to your own survival uh, rather than to reach out and 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 to uh, have these courageous conversations that characterize Roots' entire mission to begin with, right? So the, the difficulty of getting people to engage is even worse, but that's also true even for conversations about this matter here in the States. Uh, people who are, are longtime friends, uh, and, and this is true not just uh, with um, people who are friends across religions, but even within our religions. Uh, we have these difficulties where we, we can hardly talk to each other because our positions are, uh, uh, are so different on, on the matter. And so I, it does seem that, however, uh, if we stay there, we never make progress, right? We only have conflict. So when it gets even more painful, we have to increase our tolerance for pain so that we can begin to have those conversations again and work towards resolution. Um, well said. Yeah. So what are some of the demands you hear people making before they are willing to have conversation? Ooh. Uh, something we talked about uh, today when uh, Nora and I were in a Roots uh, staff seminar the first face-to-face -face staff seminar since the beginning of the war, one of the things we heard from an Israeli activist, actually the Israeli co-director of Ruchel Yuldeman, he said he was in a, a meeting of OLMAP. OLMAP is the Alliance for Middle East Peace uh, that brings together leaders of peace organizations. He said he heard that a lot of Palestinians and many, many organizations are saying we can't talk to you, the Israelis, if you were a soldier in Gaza or if you have a son who's been a soldier in Gaza. Well, that means like most of the Israeli population. Now, of course, we can, I can understand that position. I don't uh, accept it, but I can deeply understand it. Uh, another thing we've heard from many Palestinians is that if you Israelis don't condemn the Israeli attack by air and on land on Gaza, we can't talk to you. It's very similar to the first thing I said. On the other side, there are certainly Israelis, and I mean even peace activists who have said and are saying that Palestinians, if you can't condemn 
the Hamas massacre with no rider and no context and no explanation, then I can't talk to you. If you give any context, any explanation, any rider, right. I can't talk to you. Right. And again, I can understand where that position is coming from, but I, I cannot justify it. I personally think, and this is just basically what you said, George, that this is the time to enter into conversation with no demands of the other side. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. to listen. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Listening is a very big part of your uh, approach to this, I know. Uh, and, and listening not just so that you can then make your case better, but actually deep listening uh, to understand the position of the other. Uh, I know that this is uh, uh, the way you sort of lead in your presentation of what Roots's approach is, right? Yeah. And perhaps it's an opportunity to say that dialogue is a catchword that we use for, and that many use for the work of Roots and similar organizations, but it's not completely accurate mm -hmm. because in many, many cases, what we do is not dialogue. Dialogue means a conversation, a give and take. Uh, we listen to the other side and we respond. That's what dialogue mm -hmm. means. But in many, many cases, in Roots, we find that what we have to do is just listen, mm -hmm. not to respond, mm -hmm. just listen. Mm -hmm. And then the other side can speak and be listened to. We, It's not about responding to what you hear mm. in words. It's not about a rejoinder. It's not about... Is showing them where they were wrong. Ah. It's just listening to their perspective and going home and being perhaps angry about it and upset about it and absorbing and thinking about it and trying to, I call it, massage it. And here's something in what you heard that perhaps is true and perhaps it even undermines something that you thought. And that's good. Uh, we are moving through this to what can be called unsettling empathy. Uh, unsettling empathy. I find unsettling empathy. There's I find a phrase on the other side, and I identified with it, and it does undermine something that I thought about me or about them or about us or about him or about her. And uh, like Nor said earlier, we are proud of our identities, but we're also willing to rethink parts of them, to be challenged. To do introspection in, in Judaism, we call it shuva. We call it something like repentance. Mm -hmm. If we continue thinking that all the truth is on my side, and the other side there's no truth, we're not going to get anywhere. That goes back to what we said at the beginning: two truths in one heart. So I sometimes in this work that we do at Faith Commons uh, explain to people why we use the language of interfaith rather than multi-faith. Uh, and it sounds very similar to what you're saying here, because uh, the w distinction I make about it, and others can uh, interpret these things differently, is that uh, in a multi-faith conversation, uh, we simply respect the other's point of view uh, to be spoken, and we uh, try to uh, make sure that there is space for those things to be said. But in an interfaith conversation, we are 
uh, willing for ourselves to be changed by the encounter. Uh, that, that there is a reflection that happens that we uh, are willing to listen in such a way that we move from maybe uh, this uh, detente uh, where we seek a kind of peace with uh, no change to being changed as people uh, in in the encounter. Have you experienced that, Nor, in uh, in the, these conversations? Yeah, um, we definitely like when we have these discussions at roads and these meetings, and uh, we listen to each other. Um, you start to actually create empathy and empathize with what the other side's saying. You find yourself at some point that you put yourself in the other side's shoes and look from their perspective how things actually uh, looks like and how they might be, how they might experience it. And uh, definitely that um, gives you, uh, or you start to feel uh, the, the empathy toward the other side. But in times like now, in times of the war, uh, I, I fully agree with Rabbi Han um, about how to have the mutual empathy and to understand that I don't have the, the full truth is not on my side. There is truth on both sides. Yes. In times of conflict and more like now, even for us activists, sometimes I have to recognize it's very difficult to remember that. You see um, the, the bad things that's happening to your own people every day. You see the suffering of the innocents. You see the children who are dying. You see all of the, this uh, uh, this suffering. And all of a sudden, you start to ask yourself why they are doing this to us, where all of this evilness is coming from. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I, I have to remind myself that this is a conflict between both sides, between us. And, and uh, it's not only the truth on, on my side, uh, but the truth exists on, on both sides. Okay. I, I want to add, uh, George, that the distinction you made between multi-faith and interfaith uh, sounds to me similar to the distinction between coexistence and reconciliation. Aha. Uh -huh. Coexistence, coexistence, we're living side by side with them. We may not uh, deeply accept them. We may uh, know nothing about them, but we'll live in peace. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't kill each other. Roots right. is not about that. Right. A very often coexistence is um, is connected to maintaining the status quo. And right. Roots recognizes that the political status quo between Palestinian and Israelis is unjust. Yes. We're not going to coexist under the present circumstances. We're going to reconcile. Reconcile means to go deep into the other side's identity and Excellent. to see the truth of their identity and find room in my heart for their truth, just like they will find room in their heart for my truth. Well, it's been wonderful to have this initial conversation with you uh, on this podcast. And I want to say to those who are listening uh, that uh, if this has whetted your appetite, uh, that Rabbi uh, Schlesinger and uh, Nora Wad is are, are coming to Dallas. Uh, they will be with us on February the 13th. Uh, there will be uh, two events on that day. You can go to the Faith Commons website. Uh, faithcommons.org to get more information about that. And we'll put that out on the social media as well, uh, because we're looking forward to you being here, to uh, teaching us to have courageous conversations and enlisting our prayers and our own skills in reaching across uh, differences in our own community so that we can be allies and partners for peace. 
So thank you to both of you and the work at Roots. Uh, thanks for being with us on Good God, and we look forward to your visit to Dallas as well. Thank you, George. And let's sure. just mention the Roots website, friendsofroots.net. Friendsofroots.net. Friends Terrific.